looking at some texts even that, that might not be in the worship guide, so it might be helpful to have your Bible out uh, if you want to look at that. Once again, summertime in Wisconsin, and summertime in Wisconsin sometimes means uh, weddings, uh, anniversaries. Uh, many people that I meet uh, uh, from Wisconsin, uh, usually the weddings were in the summertime, uh, mostly. And uh, so a lot of people celebrating anniversaries at this time, and uh, to reminisce about the bliss of the wedding day. Uh, I remember our wedding, uh, August 18th, 2001. It was, it was blissful. I mean, we, it, we were, had the service, and it rained and, uh, during the ceremony in the church. And then, uh, right when the ceremony ended, the sun came out. There was a rainbow, you know. And uh, we got in the back of a convertible. And I remember it was my best friend and Aaron's sister that drove. And Aaron and I were in the back. And... We drove to my parents' place at a farm, and we had the, the reception outdoors. And uh, we, on a, on a whim, yeah, on a whim, we stopped at Michael's Frozen Custard in Madison in your wedding dress. And uh, we had some custard on the way to the reception, which was awesome. The people were like, what took you so long? We just stopped to get ice cream because it was on a whim, and it was fun. And I love ice cream. And, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Friends, family, the dancing, the live band. It was, it was awesome. It was a really beautiful day. And uh, yes, marriage, you know, blissful. Six years later from that day, um, we were on a plane um, with my uh, oldest and Morgan. And Morgan was sick. Uh, We had um, gone through already two outfits. I remember we had to buy an outfit in the airport uh, because she had basically pooped through the first one. And uh, I remember complaining to Aaron, of course, this is an airport, and it costs tons of money to buy anything in there. I was like, I can't believe you spent so much money on this outfit. We're complaining back and forth. Um, and uh, Morgan's sick, and it's just, and she's crying. Uh, we're about to take, like, a three-hour flight. And uh, so we just sit down, and as we sit, Morgan vomits all over me. <laughs> all over me. And I am miserable miserable. Here I am. My daughter's just bothered on me. I'm upset at my wife. People are staring at me. It smells. It's just, and we had to change her outfit again because she went through that one and we had to just put her in an airport in an air, um, airline blanket. It was horrible. Oh, marriage, right? You know, on, on Friday, we are going to celebrate, you know, the virtues of our country. And one of those virtues is, you know, right in the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I find it amazing the way that we fit different institutions in our American culture to that ethos. Especially marriage. What is marriage? It's for my happiness. It's for my ability to live the way I want to. It is for romance. It is for love. But what if marriage is simply not about our happiness? But what if it's primarily to make us holy? What if marriage isn't simply about our happiness, 
but it's to make us holy. And as we think about Proverbs, when it talks about wisdom, what if marriage is a catalyst to revealing the wisdom and folly that exists in our lives? What if marriage is this catalyst to make us see what is the wisdom in the folly in our lives? And in the midst of exposing that wisdom and folly, we then have a choice to pursue God or not. Well, let's find out what Proverbs has to say about wisdom, about wisdom, of course, but about marriage. And uh, then we will talk about um, the issue of marriage uh, when it relates to Proverbs. So here, let's start from Proverbs 12.4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about this subject of marriage, I pray that we would all be attentive. Whether we're single, whether we're engaged, whether we've been married just a little while, whether we've been married over 25, 30 years, that we would still learn from your wisdom. That we would still know how we can walk in your ways. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you're just joining us, we have been going through the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs um, it talks a lot about wisdom. And we have defined wisdom as this, the skill of godly living. The ability to apply knowledge at the right time in the right circumstances. And what's perplexing about Proverbs is that Proverbs at one point will say, um, correct a fool, and then the verse right after says, don't correct a fool. So the idea of Proverbs is, how do I apply these, this wisdom at the right time, at the right place? It's not a question of, you know, is this black and white? It's the question of these gray areas where there is more moral ambiguity. And when it comes to marriage, there is also moral ambiguity. Should I marry this person? You know, it might be wise, it might not. There might be nothing sinful about marrying that person or not. There's some reasons that are sinful about marrying certain people. But sometimes it might be equal and just, is it wise? Should I marry this person or not? When should we have kids? Again, not a wrong or right answer, but a wisdom issue. How should I talk to my spouse? When we're dealing with conflict, how should we spend our money? All these kind of questions come with the idea of wisdom 
how should I proceed? And we're going to talk about in marriage today. We'll talk about other issues later in the summer. But this is the one that we have landed on. I think all of us uh, know that people that are very brilliant and smart. And uh, this is the interesting thing about wisdom is that just because you are smart and brilliant doesn't mean your marriage is going to go well, does it? (laughs) I know some pretty dang smart people, but um, their marriages are not very good. Or they didn't remain married very long. So the idea of whether you have a good marriage or not isn't based on your IQ or your smarts. It's based on something else. This thing called wisdom. Um, I am very nervous today. I, I, I get nervous before I preach sometimes, but I'm expressly nervous when talking about marriage, Okay. The reason is because marriage is the uh, bread and butter topic of pastors, right? Okay, this is where they this is where they make it or break it, right? I've seen pastors ten week sermons, you know, or seven steps to restoring passion in your marriage, right? Or the five week series on surefire ways to loving your man, you know, or the ten ways to rekindle the flame of your bride, right? I mean, long sermon series on these topics. And then what you do is, if you get really good, you start writing books, right? So I, um, sorry, before I got married, I just pounded it, okay? Um, because I wanted to know the right way to go, right, in marriage. So uh, these are all my marriage books that I've read. Um, and uh, call me a little anal, yes. But I have a pastor too, so I deal with marriage. But um, here it is, right? All the things about marriage, right? It's amazing, um, that we start to approach the word in the same way. <laughs> Here is my instruction manual on marriage, right? This is what the Bible is. It's kind of like an encyclopedia, right? Um, I have an issue on a certain topic. Um, I'm dealing with this or that, so I'm just going to open up and it's going to tell me how I should be. It's just proof text. That's the way it works. You're going to hear a little bit of my philosophy of the Bible right now, okay? So um, if you really disagree with me, we can talk about it later. It's fine. But um, I don't see the Bible in that way. The Bible is not a story about us. (laughs) It's not a story about how I can figure things out. But it's a story about God and how he has worked through history. And it's a story about his reconciliation and restoration of us. So, if we look at the Bible with an idea of like, oh, if I just pursue God, if I just um, read the Bible in this way, I'm going to have a great marriage. Now, that's all true. Yes, if you pursue God and read the Bible, you can have a good marriage. But that's not what comes first. Instead, I'm going to argue this. Marriage was created to give us a glimpse of the beauty of God. Not vice versa. Marriage is created so we can get a glimpse of who God is and His nature. The ultimate is God. The penultimate is marriage. So when we make marriage the ultimate thing, We are going to be frustrated. Don't believe me? This is something that really twerks people, right? I'm just just pressing buttons, right? This morning, right? Um, 
Do you know that Jesus said that there is going to be no marriage in heaven? Some people, they freak out. What about endless love, right? Forever. We're always going to be together, right? Now, I didn't say that we're not always going to be together. We're just not going to be married. Honey, I love you, right? But Jesus says there is not going to be marriage in heaven. To make us think, as Americans and romanticists, marriage is the end-all, be-all. No, it's not. God is. Okay? And then, when we get to Proverbs, it does something to us. When we look at the topic of marriage. Proverbs accentuates our issues and our foibles in marriage. If you want to know if you're wise or you're a fool, get married. Because <laughs> you'll find out really quickly whether you're, you're wise or you're a fool. And those things just get shown when you're married. When Jesus talked about what his greatest commandment was, he, he did not say, my greatest commandment is that you get married and you have kids and you pay the mortgage and you build a fence around your house. That is not the greatest commandment. But if I looked at Appleton, I would think that was, right? But the greatest commandment was to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And along with that is to love our neighbor as ourselves. The reason I think, take it for what it's worth, that God created marriage is because He wants us to love one other person well. To live out that command. I want to see if you can love one other person well. Live out this grace command. And how do we do at that? How do we do at loving just one other person well? And living that great commandment. We don't do very well, do we? I had a professor in seminary. He grew up in a tradition, a Christian tradition that believed in perfectionism, that you can be fully sanctified. And uh, his pastor told him uh, when he was young, he said, I haven't sinned in 30 years. And my professor, uh, being the Prococ precocious young man, said to his professor, he said, if I asked your wife, would she say the same thing? And here is why wisdom is so good. Remember, wisdom is personified. It's personified as lady wisdom, and then there's lady folly. And a father talking to his son, I want you to go find a wife. Find her like Lady Wisdom, not like Lady Folly. And then it goes on through Proverbs talking about what this Lady Wisdom looks like. With Lady Wisdom, it takes work. It's not a sluggard. It takes patience. It takes pursuit. It takes a long term. It takes commitment. Lady Folly has all these things, but if you follow her, it will go good with you. But if you follow Lady Folly, it will be quick answers. It will be one night stands. It will be perfume and all the things that look nice on the outside, but it will only lead to destruction. In the same way, marriage is that 
lady wisdom. It shapes us. It makes us holy. It shows us the ways that we fall short. It helps us see I need to pursue wisdom. I need to know how to talk to my spouse. I need to know how to deal with issues of money and all these things. I need to, to do better. And I need to pursue wisdom to know how to be shaped and molded and sanctified. Well, that is not a good American picture of marriage. (laughs) It's more, again, like I said, for our happiness, for what it can do for us, for our own self-actualization, for whether, um, you know, I don't want to feel lonely, so I'll just be with someone. I want to have fun. I might as well have a partner with me in that process. It's got to be love all the time. If love fades, I can forget about it. You know, that was not the picture of marriage a long time ago. Right? Okay, great. Long time ago, it's always better. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm saying it was different. Okay? You know, back in the age of the church, um, in predominantly pagan society, marriage was good because um, it provided kids. Okay? And you needed kids because um, they needed to work the fields. And they also needed uh, to provide for you when you got older. And they were also um, to show that you had any legacy. You had children. So if you didn't have kids, you were pretty worthless. But then came along Christianity and something changed. Do you know what changed? When a wife lost her husband, widows remained unmarried. Know that? They remained unmarried because the church provided for them. They supported these widows and they helped them. And they taught, you know what? Marriage is not the end all be all. Stanley Hauerwas, a professor at Duke, he says that Christianity was the first religion to actually give singleness value. Why? Because. Jesus Christ was single. Paul was single. And in fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it is a blessing to be single. Actually, there is a great benefit of being single that married people don't have. And you know what? The early church lived in that. Do you know the great theologians of the early church, the great leaders of the early church were single? And actually, it was more work to be married (laughs) It was work. And then Francis de Sales, one of those early church fathers, a woman deciding whether she'd get married or not, he said to her, the state of marriage is one that requires more virtue and constancy than any other. You as a husband had to devote your time, your energy, your work to sustain your family. While you, when you were single, you could devote your time to the Lord, to writing, to study. But when you got married, you had to devote your time to those things. But since, I think, the 19th century, that has kind of changed. I think it's changed because it's probably a little bit less work, so we think, to get be married. With modern conveniences, with the ability to... uh, uh, you know, machinery and all these things that men don't have to work as hard. 
doesn't have to be as many hours. And also, marriage can be more of convenience and out of pleasure than it is out of of obligation in providing. And what happens then is marriage reframes itself from the ability to um, sustain, to have kids, to, to kind of have a generation after you, to now it becomes something for your pleasure, for your happiness. And when the pleasure runs out, when the happiness runs out, you can get out of it. And what has happened, I think, both in the church and society, it's been flipped in how we look at singles. Those who are not married can be looked down upon. And you say, oh, oh man, that's sad. You must be lonely. You must have a problem. Why aren't you married? We are going to work as a church to not say these things to single people. Okay? There's some common things that sometimes we say to single people. As soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special in your life. That's as if God's blessings are earned by our contentment. That's a total lie. You know, you're just too picky. It's as if God is frustrated by our fickle whims and needs a broader parameters to work. Another lie. You know, before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. And I know a lot of horrible people that are married. <laughs> a single lady who has, has wrote extensively on singleness, a very good quote. She says this, I'm not single because I am too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I am too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me because this is his best for me. Do you believe that of single people? That is God's best for them. They might desire to remember, but that's what God has done right now. And they provide us perspective and richness in the church that we cannot get from other people. My best friend is single. Never been married. It is amazing the insight that he can give me that non-married people can on how I raise my kids and how I love my wife. He is able to challenge me in ways that others can't. I think it's partly because he is actually able to deal with the angst of loneliness and to deal with that with God. And it gives him a richness and depth that I don't have. Now, some of us are single, and we are seeking a spouse, which is good. And Proverbs talks a lot about this. Actually, it's the whole thrust of the first nine chapters of Proverbs about a father talking to a son about who you should marry. And he's giving, again, a picture of choose lady wisdom, not lady folly. So I want to give some advice from Proverbs about those seeking a spouse about some wisdom on that issue. I think that the modern idea of what's good in a spouse needs to be questioned a little bit. Men, if it looks good, if she's attractive, then it's okay. Then I will marry her. Women, if he has goals, if he's making money, if he's secure, 
then, yeah, that's the kind of guy. Now, I'm stereotyping a little bit. I'm sure there's women that care about attraction, men that care about, about a woman having a good career. But again, sometimes that is the categories they fall into. But Proverbs says something different about what wisdom is and what the right pursuit of a spouse is. Proverbs 16, 16. Getting wisdom is much better than gold. And getting understanding is to be preferred over silver. Could a man that doesn't make a lot of money actually have more riches than a man that has a lot of money? Proverbs 11.22 Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Is beauty all that matters? Or is there something much deeper that you should be pursuing? So when looking, maybe we should look deeper for wisdom and not be so picky maybe on certain issues. And at the same time, I want to say we should not rush it. If you rush it, I've got to get married, I've got to find the right person, it can also re- lead to danger and issues and problems. Um, Socrates says this, he says, if you get a good wife, you'll become happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. Right? You know, I think um, there's not a lot of safe places to date nowadays, to find someone else. I would hope the church would be a safe place to do that. And what that means is that uh, as a church body, we use discretion when someone's saying, I am thinking about a relationship with someone in the church, that we don't say, oh, did you hear what happened? And that also that we can give wisdom for single people, that those have been married. No, here's some things that I've learned. Here's some things that I did when finding a spouse. That this would be a safe place to be able to seek advice, to be able to pursue someone without having to worry about us playing matchmaker all the time here. That this would be a place where that kind of courtship, that kind of pursuit can happen in a safe environment. But again, I want to give this warning, warning through all this idea of singleness. Again, this lady who talks about it in, in an article, she says this, let's face it, singleness is not inherently inferior state of affairs. But I want to be married, she says. I pray to that end every day. I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. I may never have another date also because God is so good to me. I hope we would have that insight as a church. Well, now to you married folk, okay? The Proverbs, oh man, they are good, aren't they? Well, they just kind of are grueling at times. We're going to look at 19.13 and then 27.15. 13. A foolish son is ruin to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. 27.15. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are like 
Now, you have to understand that in the ancient Mideast, um, there were um, many proverbs about what a good son was. And a good son, as many proverbs says, was one that when it rained outside and it started dripping inside, the son would be the one that would get up on the roof when it was raining and patch it. That was a good son. Now, imagine this son is now married. He doesn't have to maybe fulfill this role anymore. But the thing is, then when he comes out from the storm, he realizes a storm is still within the house. The dripping is still there, but it's not the dripping from the rain, it's the dripping from his spouse. As another proverb says, he'd rather be out in the wilderness. He'd rather be in the corner of his house than being around his spouse. You see, men and women in marriage, they want to seek safety from the storm of life. They want to be able to come in from the workplace, from tensions, from raising kids, from all those things, and being able to come under there and seek safety and security and love from their spouse. Not dripping. Now, men, you think, oh, I'm out of the loop here. He's not talking about me. It is talking about men, too. 13 says, a foolish son is ruined to his father. Again, you have to see, Proverbs is in context of a father talking to a son, but it's an allegory. And the son is representative of those that are needing wisdom. And that is all of us. We all need wisdom. So men are being talked about here, too. You know, I, I am a dripper, too, okay, to my wife. And it really comes um, in, you know, when there's chaos outside the house, I want to have control within the house, okay? I can tell when I am in a bad state, and I've said this before, but it's going to be my continual sanctification. Hopefully it will be before my death, Aaron. I hopefully it's before my death. <laughs> that when I'm not doing well and things are cluttered or things are a mess, I just, I just lose it. It's got, I can't control the church at this moment. I can't control it. I better, I got to control the house though. It's got to be clean. And then, who can I blame? And she's always there. There she is. I'm just going what, to what's going on, honey? Why is it not clean? And you just say stupid things. And when I say stupid, okay, that is from the Proverbs. You know, Proverbs says stupid, okay? That's what a fool is, stupid. And when I say things like, after Aaron has been with the kids all day, after she has done my laundry, after she has cooked a meal, for me to say, what's going on with the house right now? It's stupid. I am a fool. The thing is, it's so easy to justify. Isn't it? Oh man, only if they did this right. Only if my spouse did this. Only if they only got this right or that right. Then things would start to be better. I can't control anything else, so I will control them. 
when are we going to realize that these issues are your own issues <laughs> that you need to work on versus your spouse's? And that maybe through your spouse, you should think of things like, wait a second, maybe I should be helping Aaron in this process. <laughs> maybe I should be serving her. Maybe I should be loving her rather than complaining. That is the way of wisdom and not the way of folly. Amen? Right, Aaron? Amen? That is the gospel that I need to hear. Proverbs 12.4 An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. And then 18.22 He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You know, I talk about, oh man, it's holiness, it's a pain, and marriage is bad. No, it's wonderful. And it can be a glory. A wife can make a man feel like a king. That her beauty, her love for him, he can wear around like a crown. Oh, how my wife loves me and adores me. How she serves me and helps me. How she encourages me. That I can have my head held high. And people can say, man, he walks around like a king. Why? Because his wife is his crown. And that he can say, oh, all glory to me because I picked the right, right, right wife. No, all glory to God because it's what he has given me. Husbands, I mean, wives, is that what your husbands say of you? Husbands, do your wives wear that same crown? Are they joyful? Do they not seem disheveled all the time or beaten down by life? But instead they say, I have a man that supports me and loves me and helps me. Is that the same for you, men? Proverbs 31, 30. I encourage you, Proverbs 31 is rich. Um, it's about a noble wife. It's uh, really talking about... Um, uh, it's written in a way of a, a soldier's call, the great virtues of a soldier. But the Bible is great. It turns those virtues into the nobleness of a woman and a wife. And it has some good things to say. But one of the key verses of Proverbs 31 is verse 30. And men say, well, uh, when I say, oh, wait, men get off? They don't have a noble passage themselves and all these things they have to do? No. Proverbs, Psalm 112 is a good one for men about a noble husband. So I encourage you, it's the, the latter for, um, you know, kind of a mirror image of, of, uh, of Proverbs 31. Uh, Psalm 112 for men, Psalm Proverbs 31 for women. So again, um, 31, 30, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Likewise, praise the Lord, blesses the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. You know, there's two equal and opposite errors in marriage. One is contention, which we talked about, that constant drip of fighting and quarreling. And the other is silence. Okay? Both of them are bad. Okay? Now, if someone fears the Lord, 
overfearing their spouse, saying, you know, my allegiance is more to God than my spouse. It then gives the ability to say to your spouse, you know, you are doing something wrong. Because this is how God tells you how to live. That I can confront you on this. Because my fear is not of you. My fear is of God. And God has put me in a place to be a sanctifying agent to you. So I can say this to you. Because I'm not fearful of you. I fear God. And He's put me in this position to be able to help you and move you in the right direction. Now what does that look like? You know, many times it starts with just praying. Praying for an issue you see in your spouse. God, work upon them. Help them see what I see that they are blind to. And then when you disagree on the issue, you can say, okay, we disagree in the way you're acting here. I'm praying that maybe you will change your mind. I pray that you would pray about this issue too. And let's come back in a week, a month, and see what the Lord has revealed. That could be one way to break the silence. Second, you could maybe see your spouse as wisdom. They are your greatest counselor. And maybe what they say, because they see you, all of you, that they might be able to be, have insight on your life like no one else does. And maybe you just need to get a mediator into the situation. Someone needs to come from the outside, someone that you trust, a counselor, a pastor, an older couple in the church, to say, okay, this is where we're butting heads. Can you help us see where we need to go? And maybe some of us need to just defer. You know, maybe my husband is right. I'm going to follow his way. We're going to see how it goes. And then when he's right, I'm not going to say, uh, he's not going to say, I told you so. <laughs> but he's going to say, okay, praise be to God. In the same way, you're not going to butt heads against it. You know, in choosing Aaron, I, I dated a few different women in high school and college. And uh, I remember... Uh, <laughs> I remember one, whenever I was disheveled, not wearing the right thing, she would let me have it. You're going to wear that? What? That doesn't look good at all. What are you doing? Tuck that in. Iron that. And then I dated another girl who, even if I had like toothpaste coming down like this, she would not tell me. Or I was wearing something that was just not good. She would never say anything. I remember, I, I was 19 or 20, we were driving, and my collar was up. And that wasn't cool back then, right? Collar up. And I remember Erin sitting next to me, I remember her reaching her hand over and pulling it down. That is a wise woman. That is wisdom. Seek God, how do I confront my spouse in the right way on this issue? How do I talk to them? God, I need wisdom. 
You know, Proverbs can make us very uncomfortable. It makes me seriously uncomfortable to show the ways that I fall short when it comes to money, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to friendship. How I am not a wise spouse at times. I am a a spouse that lives by folly. And many times it can make those that are single feel uncomfortable. I don't have a spouse. It can make us that have had past actions that maybe have gone through divorce or issues make us feel very convicted. You know, I, I kind of fooled you a little bit. <laughs> I said there would be no marriage in heaven. But you know, there will be a wedding. At Revelation, it talks about that wedding. And it talks about us. You know what it calls all of us? Brides. You are a bride. A foolish bride at times, right? One that is contentious. One that drips. One that is just a problem. But you know what the groom does? You know what the groom is? It's Christ. He comes to us, foolish brides. And He marries us. He loves us. He bears with us. If you are single, if you are a fool in your marriage, if you have been divorced, know this. There is a bridegroom that comes to you, a bride that is broken and spotted and marries you in the midst of your dripping and your sin. That is the marriage that is ultimate. That is the marriage that will drive us. That will be the marriage that forgives us. Is that the one we're pursuing? Is that the one that we trust in? Is that the one that we see loves us through all? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for coming to your bride, the church. Thank you for being the bridegroom and setting a feast in front of us that we might drink new wine, that we might enjoy the fare that is before us in this world, but will come even greater in heaven. God, give us wisdom in our marriage. Give us wisdom in our singleness. Let us pursue you so that we might be wise spouses and wise people. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, let us continue to worship as we stand together and sing, Behold the Lamb.
pursue this issue of marriage more. There's some books on marriage back there and a bibliography. And also we're hearing from wise people on the issue of marriage this Wednesday night. Come um, to that too. Well, may the grace of Christ, which daily renews us, and the love of God, which enables us to love all, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which unites us in one body, make us eager to obey the will of God until we meet again through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace.